Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 46, we dissect one of the darkest days in U.S. soccer history. We reveal which legendary commentator has joined NBC Sports to boost their Premier League coverage, what Fox Sports has in store for the penultimate day of the MLS season, and much more. Plus, we have tons of letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, okay, this, this is uh, kind of a big sign, a big uh, deep breath, but there's a lot to take in, a lot to discuss in this episode, but I'm actually going to go backwards, so I'm going to start, rather than focus on what happened last night right away, I want to talk about what we've been watching uh, prior to that, prior to the Tuesday night meltdown in terms of the last week, and then we'll get to the the US um, uh, Trinidad game and, and everything revolving around that shortly. So, Let's kick it off with you, Kartik, in terms of what, what you've been watching this past week. Yeah, I, you know, I, I lament international breaks. I complain about them. I, I uh, get uh, angry and, and distant about them. Uh, Chris, I have probably in years not watched as much football as I did this week. The, and that might be a reflection of our featured topic last week, where there are more and more non-competitive games, not just in the Premier League, but uh, around Europe and in, in the top leagues and, and in Major League Soccer. There are uh, games that are uh, 4-0 and, and 3-0 games as well. So, um and, and even in NASL and USL. So let's let's start with me. Uh, me. I'll just go through these real quickly because I watched so much football. Northern Ireland, Germany. I had high hopes for Northern Ireland to potentially win this game and put pressure on Germany uh, for that automatic qualification spot. It was no contest. Germany, as always, when they're up against it and need a result, put the opposition to the sword. Uh, this match in Belfast on FS2, uh, Northern Ireland ends up having to go to the playoffs now uh, to qualify. Colombia, paraguay uh, which was on DN, watch this. Uh, David Ospina made two incredible errors that uh, – kept the door open for Paraguay uh, and put Colombia's qualification in doubt. Now, the, the thing is, it, there's, there's so much that's happened this week, Chris. This was a monumental result at the time we watched it. It now, looking back, didn't mean anything because Paraguay mm-hmm. didn't take advantage of the opportunity, did not beat Venezuela, and Colombia went to Lima, got the result they needed. They qualified for the World Cup automatically. Uh, the next morning, India and the U.S. in uh, – in uh, the FIFA U-17 World Cup, uh, 
really good uh, performance from India, given the, the talent gap between them and the United States. They're, they're the home team. They're the host country. Uh, the U.S., as usual, at the youth level, looks stacked. But as we've seen time and again, something happens between with these kids between the ages when, you know, the 16 to 18 when they're excelling at the U20 and U20, uh, U17 and U20 level, and by the time they get to the senior national team. There are a few that have continued their steady growth. Most U.S. players excel at the youth level and then drop off, and they drop off quickly. By the time they're at the U23 level or the full national team level, they're not uh, relative to the international competition at the same uh, standard. So before people get too excited about how well the U.S. U-17 team is playing in India, and they are playing well, and they look really good. Uh, think about that. And that would be my same observation from the England-Chile game from a few days later, where England has had the same sort of thing. They won the U-20 World Cup even this year, a, a tournament which the U.S. was also very good in. And uh, you just already I'm seeing uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who was a star of that team, Tammy Abraham, who was a star of that team, those guys, yeah, they're okay in the Premier League, but they haven't taken that that next step, so hopefully they can. Uh, let's keep going. Mexico, Trinidad, and Tobago. Uh, U.S. Panama, obviously, uh, from Orlando. ESPN's coverage was very good. Uh, maybe we can discuss this more later. Uh, this, this game now seems like it was years ago, given what's happened since. So Yeah, I thought, uh, I, thought uh, it, I mean, it was really kind of a breath of fresh air, this one, because um, with having Max, Max Bretos hosting it, uh, yeah. in terms of the production, in terms of uh, the, the talking points, uh, how well Twelman did in terms of uh, analyzing this match, Ian Dark, uh, it felt like the boys were back. And it was a really great broadcast. And, and of course, uh, the performance and uh, victory was, you mean, at the time, fantastic. Uh, but it was one of those games, I think, I think that Panama completely just mis- miscalculated uh, tactically. Came and, out wanting to attack, which was bizarre. Um, I, I think they felt like they probably needed to get a point in this game because uh, their feeling was that the U.S. would get get results, uh, get a result in Trinidad, and obviously that didn't that didn't happen. Uh, it's amazing international football the swings in, in Commonwealth and in Concacaf the last uh, last few days. A little less so in UEFA. There weren't any massive qualifying. St- uh, rallying stunners other than and I hate to bring this up but Ireland catching Wales and, and, and passing them by beating them but we'll get to that in a, in a few minutes two, yeah two, two more things just about this game real fast Kartik is that uh, it was nice to see Sam Borden as uh, ESPN's global yes. soccer correspondent on the set he's only there on there for a short time but uh, it was nice to see him just because I'm getting a little bit sick of seeing Grant Wall everywhere uh, and, and Sam had some good points to share I also really enjoyed uh, Sebastian Salazar um, and Kind of the sideline reporter giving his insight in terms of, of Panama, what the team was thinking, and the, the Panamanian president being in the, at the stadium and adding that side, and, and that was uh, valuable, I thought. Yeah, I think as we enter a new era of U.S. soccer, hopefully, and we'll discuss this in our feature topic, we're going to spend much of the podcast, if not most of it, on this. I think Seb Sal- Salazar is a guy who's going to emerge as a star uh, in, in the new world when we, uh, when those who observe the U.S. men's national team and the game in this country are mired in reality and not in the alternate reality that they have been for the last few years. But we'll get to that in, in a few minutes. Uh, Mexico TNT, good performance from a young uh, kind of experimental Trinidad and Tobago side, they didn't have the fitness, though, to keep it going. Played, outplayed Mexico probably for about 70 minutes, 
were actually leading in the game at that point, 1-0, uh, and uh, lost their legs late at the altitude. And again, young players, poor conditioning uh, for a lot of them. Dennis Lawrence calling in a lot of... Um, a lot of guys from their domestic league, which is basically an amateur league, they lose 3-1. Yet those same amateur players would uh, have their day in the sun a few days later, which we will get to. And I know everybody listening is aware of that. Uh, Bosnia-Belgium, the next day, John Champion, uh, Craig Burley on ESPN News. Anyone who starts... And when I had this argument on my on Twitter and Facebook when they were when the U.S. was manufacturing its excuse making uh, of 24 to 48 hours before the, uh, the the debacle in Port of Spain or debacle in Trinidad, they uh, I, I pointed to this game and said, look, you're saying, oh, in Europe, uh, it, 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 there's you have you have to get used to CONCACAF. You know how difficult it is in CONCACAF. These hotshot European teams, Chris Arena, they couldn't come to CONCACAF. Belgium had to play on this pitch, which. Um, was one of the worst pitches I've ever seen. The stadium was a cauldron of noise, which it wasn't in Trinidad. Loud, uh, aggressive fans, which you often get in the Balkans and in Eastern Europe for those CONCACAF apologists who who, who want to believe that Europe is some kind of cakewalk, uh, because there seems to be a lot of those. Because I was stunned by the number of people coming at me on social media defending Bruce Arena's comments. This was unbelievable, uh, the pitch they played on. Yet Belgium got four goals. It was a classic back-and-forth game, 4-3. Uh, I, uh, I did not uh, figure out the right terminology to describe that pitch. Taylor Twellman in his now epic rant from Tuesday night described it as a cow pasture. That is correct. Um, Belgium wins nonetheless. Uh, Begovic made some really good sh- uh, shot stops for Bosnia, but also has uh, made several mistakes in terms of distribution and went to come off his line. So that's uh, that was that game. I watched Portland-Orlando as much of it as I could. It was going on at the same time as uh, two big college football games in the state, Miami, FSU, and LSU, Florida. Um, uh, Kartik, when you mentioned Portland, uh, Orlando, you should um, we should mention that that's the NWSL. Uh, semi- oh yeah, 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 right, right. Not the uh, not the uh, MLS version of those two teams. Yeah, it was a very cr- really crisp broadcast on Lifetime. I, I, yeah. I'm so impressed by their production level. They brought Julie Foudy in, obviously. Dale Culf is there, and you've got. Uh, Ali Wagner and Jen Hildreth doing such a good job presenting. They, they have grown as a broadcast team through the course of the season, and I just felt like uh, this was presented in a manner that a lot of times you don't see MLS games presented uh, in. It was just very professional, very crisp, obviously a network with a lot of resources. It was a uh, a tough one for Orlando. They just never were in the game. There was a period of time where Tom Sermani, the manager, had them press high. Uh, they got it back to 2-1, but Portland really bossed this game, and I'm looking forward to the final, which um, I'm still contemplating whether I'm going to be there or not, but um, the final is Saturday in Orlando mm-hmm. between Portland and, Carol- and North Carolina, and I would urge our listeners to watch that if they like women's football. Yeah, um, yeah one thing, I haven't watched a lot of NWSL this season, um, a lot of other games going on, of course, but uh, like you, I was really impressed with the uh, production uh, of this. And it's amazing, too, because this is Lifetime's first season doing NWSL, first season doing soccer. Um, it, yeah, it just blew me away in terms of how, how, how well it was uh, done. Yeah, and I think they've hired probably hired soccer people to help them with production, which some other people who broadcast soccer don't do. That, that, that would be my uh, takeaway from that. Chile, England. Uh, it, it's impossible to overstate how good England looked. It, this is a U-17 World Cup game that was on FS1. Uh, 
But again, like I said with the U.S., something happens between the U-17 slash U-20 levels and the senior national team with English players, much like it happens with American players. So don't get too excited yet. Um, Slovenia, Scotland, uh, this was um, a, a massive disappointment for me personally. Uh, I I didn't expect Scotland to get uh, the result here, but when they took the lead in the game, um, I, I felt like uh, – um, they were uh, they, they were in, in in good shape and would be able to consolidate and see the game out, and they didn't. And so they are out for the 10th straight uh, consecutive major tournament, and this is the threat uh, to the U.S. We'll talk about the U.S. can go in a couple different directions. The doomsday scenario for the United States is that we end up being Scotland. And before people laugh that off, just remember how you felt last night. And you don't want to be in that position. I, I remember when Scotland missed the Euro 2000 tournament, lost in a playoff to England. People thought, "I, right, what we'll do is we'll just go out, we'll hire birdie votes, we'll we'll be fine." Mm-hmm. And you just saw a general drift away from players playing in that league. Uh, all sorts of things happened. We will get into it later. Um, Mexico Iraq was a U17 game. I watched that was a, a really good game. Iraq. Uh, Pulled out a draw. Mark Rogandino on the call with um, uh, with uh, uh, Mariano Rivera. Very uh, crisp. Uh, Rivera knows uh, the young Mexican players pretty well. Uh, Norway, Northern Ireland, John Champion and Craig Burley. Uh, Northern Ireland disappointed me in this match. They created a lot of chances, weren't able to score. Lost 1-0, but they still qualified for the playoffs. Ghana, USA, the next morning on FS1. Uh, the rivalry, is, if you want to call it that, continues. Although now both team countries have missed the Senior World Cup, so they will not meet for the fourth straight Senior World Cup. But they seem to always be grouped together, even in youth tournaments. Uh, the U.S. wins. Uh, in the end, I have to mention that the, the young man who scored the goal, whose name is escaping me, was uh, uh, first scouted by Marcelo Castillo, who we worked with, who I worked with, with both the Fort Lauderdale Strikers and then Boca Raton FC when he was the head coach. Wikipedia even gives him credit for discovering the player and alerting U.S. soccer that he was eligible to play for the United States. Uh, he's Canadian. Uh, he could play for U.S. or Canada. And obviously, uh, for those who don't know, when you get capped at the youth level, it does not mean you can't switch back before the age of 21 to the other national team. So I'm sure Canada uh, will be ringing his phone. He is in Toronto FC's academy, by the way. Um, then uh, Wales, Ireland. Uh, maybe I'll save this for <laughs> Chris. Right. Look, uh, I, the thing I will say about this is, and it's unfortunate for Wales, we know at the club level, except at the end at Sunderland, what a good manager Martin O'Neill was. He has consistently, in, in games with Republic of Ireland since he's taken over, gotten the clutch result when he needed it against Germany in Euro 2016 qualifying in the playoff then. Uh, you know, in, against Germany to get into the playoff, he had to beat Germany. Uh, and I remember thinking, oh, you know, Scotland's going to be in the playoff. And no, he, they win that game, Republic of Ireland. And then uh, the playoff, they get it. Then they, they start terribly in the group stage of the Euros. The best team in the entire tournament, and I think we'll, the takeaway from the Euros is even though Portugal won it, Italy under Conte was the best team. Best team in the entire tournament, Ireland needs three points, and they beat them. Uh, and now this, where um, 
they had uh, lost at home to Serbia in, in Dublin, and I had given them up. I, for those who don't know, I, I support the Republic of Ireland as my second national team behind uh, the U.S., and uh, I had given them up for dead after that match. I, I did not expect this, but he made a couple of clutch calls, uh, particularly starting James McLean, who ended up getting the goal. Uh, Cyrus Christie is a, a a young right back who has uh, he's kept in the team and let him play through his mistakes. Uh, a, a championship level player, he, he uh, because of the injury to Seamus Coleman, and he had a he had a blinder in this game. So um, hats off to Martin O'Neill, just really a, a high end manager. And I hate to say this, Chris, I think you saw the difference between O'Neill and Coleman. Um, yeah, I think I think I think definitely Ireland did well in this one in terms of uh, they're not a very good team, but but in terms of defense, no, they're not. They're not, and that's why you need a good manager. Yeah, right? yeah, and, and and defensively they were sound. I mean, in, ter- in terms of but Wales kind of played into their game, a lot of long balls. Uh, they were easy for Ireland to defend and he- head away. Um, it was one of those games that really, at the end of the day, um, the result I think it was a fair result. Wales. Uh, just did, didn't uh, didn't show up for this game. There were some some mistakes that they made, but also there were chances. But just uh, a really great performance from Ireland, uh, especially at home, um, playing away in Cardiff. It was a very difficult uh, atmosphere. Yeah, they got points in Vienna, they got points in Cardiff, and they got points in Belgrade, which uh, is remarkable. I mean, that's worthy of qualifying for a World Cup and sets you up in direct contrast to what we saw from the United States, where they can't get points where they need to get points. Yeah, speaking of the atmosphere, I mean, to me, I mean, I'm biased, of course. I was uh, born in Wales, I have a British passport, but also I'm an American citizen. But that was the loudest national anthem I can ever remember hearing uh, for a soccer game uh, when when the Welsh... Uh, the entire stadium were belting out uh, uh, the, only, the only comparison, comparable comparison I remember was uh, when Republic of Ireland played France in the first leg of the playoff in 2009. The second leg has obviously become infamous because of the Henri handball. The first leg was yeah. at Croke Park, not at uh, Lansdowne Road. It was at Croke Park, the rugby ground. Uh, was moved to a bigger ground, and I remember the same, uh, the same effect with the national anthem there. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I have to say, um, Neil Blackman and I have commented on this when we were at the U.S. Martinique game over the summer. When you hear the French national anthem, yeah. you feel like you should run through walls when you hear that. It's such a <laughs> belligerent, militant song. Absolutely. So uh, there is some effect when France plays home matches as well um, on that. But, yeah, I completely agree. The atmosphere the atmosphere in Cardiff for this entire match was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, it, Chris, let me ask you this. Is, is Wales uh, – Adopting football as its sport now is rugby yeah. and Gaelic football on the uh, on the wane. Uh, well, Gaelic football is not uh, nowhere to be found. But but as far as rugby, rugby is still by leaps and bounds much much bigger than than, yeah. than soccer still is. Um, but the, the the thing of the irony about this Kartik was that um, that this was Wales's only defeat in all of World Cup qualifying, and they're out. So it just goes to show you how difficult the group was. Um, they played well uh, all the way up to this this last game. They did okay in this game, but just Ireland was that much better. Uh, just one one loss, and and they're out. So right. And for those people who are arguing with me, taking the the company line of Bruce Arena, that somehow the U.S. would be better off in Europe, and uh, they they could finish second in all in every group. You're, you're crazy because look at the. There's no margin for error there. There's very. You could say there's margin for error and calm the ball because of the way it's structured but the margin for error is 
you're just playing better teams, right, than you do in CONCACAF. So right. uh, you, can, you can't win just two or three games in qualifying like the U.S. did and, and, and go through. Um, so we, that's a topic for later. ESPN FC that night, though, because Arena made his comments, was one of the – it was almost like a comedy show between Bruce Arena and Gordon Strachan um, and everything in between. I mean, they did – they did get down to having a serious discussion about Argentina uh, in, uh, in, in between, and, and Burley very matter-of-factly said that he felt like Argentina would win because their backs were against the wall, and they, and they had Messi, and he would will them to victory, and he was right. Uh, Messi was uh, – if you didn't watch that game, mm-hmm. Messi, you talk about putting a, a team of, go- of guys that have no <laughs> – Putting him on your back, I, that, 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 I don't want to call it a solo virtuoso performance, but it was, it was pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, again, reinforcing the greatness of Lionel Messi. But um, it was just a hilarious show between Arena's comments about the pitch and uh, hotshot European teams. And, and Burley said, well, the real, the real mystery is whether uh, the Germany C team could come over to CONCACAF and win the X. He thinks they might. Mm-hmm. So not even the Germany B team, the Germany C team. Uh, that it was just a ridiculous comment. Everyone agreed. Uh, Hercules Gomez took a, a bit of a different perspective. He agreed it was a ridiculous comment. But what Hercules thought was that it was a, a, an effort to deflect pressure off his players because they were feeling the pressure. And maybe he was right because we saw how, how uh, much stage fright the U.S. had the next night. Uh, but that was Gomez's take, was that, yeah, it's an absurd comment, but Bruce was saying the most absurd thing he could in order to take the pressure off of, um, off of, his, um, off of his players. And then there's the Gordon Strachan comment about genetics, which really need, bears no need in analysis. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Burley, as a as Scotsman who played in the last World Cup they qualified for, was just uh, uh, put out. Uh, finishing up real quickly, India-Columbia uh, on uh, FS2, late, good game, late Colombian winner uh, to win 2-1 in New Delhi in the U-17s. Brazil-North Korea, again, a really good U-17 game. It's amazing how the Brazilians recycle names like Paulinho and Cleberson and etc. and stick them on. Uh, on young footballers. They all seem to have familiar names. Uh, Portugal, Switzerland, uh, I thought the uh, Rob Stone pregame show on Fox was pretty good, uh, but the game itself underwhelmed. Uh, but it, it was um, interesting this week. We saw so much of Stu Holden in Fox's studios and around Fox's, um, Fox's World Cup game, or World Cup qualifying games. We did not see much of Alexi Lalas or any really any of Eric Ronaldo. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that in, indicates for the World Cup coming up. We know Holden will not be in the studio during the World Cup. He will be in the booth uh, with John Strong, but he's taken on a, a major studio presence. This whole, uh, I, I want to say he worked every day uh, during uh, Euro- European qualifying, at least, and uh, I was certainly there for Scotland, Slovenia, and disappointed. Uh, for those who don't know, obviously, Holden is a star U.S. player, but uh, actually Scottish roots, born in Scotland. So uh, he was disappointed by that. Then um, Ecuador, Argentina, and the Common Ball games, and um, of course, culminating in um, TNT USA. And I don't really want to say much more about that game. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting, Kartik, because um, Fox Sports hasn't uh, televised a U.S. men's national team game, a big game, like a, an actual uh, a meaningful game since the Gold Cup final at the end of July. So for the past several months, it's been uh, the, the big games have been on. Even the qualifiers have been on ESPN or RBN Sports. 
Um, and now also with the U.S. not being in the World Cup and uh, with the U.S. unlikely to play some friendlies in the next month, um, there's no rush at, rush to start uh, setting up some games until probably they can find a new coach. Um, we're probably not going to see that, see that many games uh, from the U.S. on Fox. Yeah, so just for those who don't remember this, the U.S. did not play a game between the end of the uh, 20, 2006 World Cup when Bruce Arena was fired and January 2007 when Bob Bradley was uh, kind of in a rush job given the interim tag of two. He, he had been brought in to coach the uh, U.S. U23 team. Uh, I had all, I suspected he would be the full national team coach at the time because you don't leave a, a, an MLS job, which is what he did, uh, as arguably the top coach in that league to, to coach the U23 U.S. team. But um, it was however many months that was, eight months. I don't know if the U.S. after this failure, we thought the World Cup 2006 was a failure at the time and blow it up, blah, blah, blah. But th- this is certainly far worse than that. That was uh, obviously coming off a cycle where the U.S. had won the hex and were ranked in the top uh, 10 in the FIFA World Rankings. And it was just because the weight of expectations were so great in the World Cup. And they were they were put in a group of death mm-hmm. uh they didn't advance but they went eight months without playing a game or however many months that would be seven eight months without playing a match i don't think they can afford to go that long without playing at least a friendly uh, i don't know that there's an interim coach though you can put in place because everybody who uh, is on that staff is associated with bruce in one one way or another so well, well, maybe Peter Vermes or something like that, a temporary coach that goes in, you mean, towards the end of the year, that's uh, after the MLS season's over, and that plays a friendly, you mean, in December or January or something like that, yeah. just to keep the players fresh. Yeah, they're going to have to have that January camp. Uh, you would, I don't know. It's a whole new world. I, I'm just. Yeah. The old rules are out, I guess. Absolutely. So just to run through what I've seen this past week, I saw the England Slovenia. Actually, the, the first few games I saw were just incredibly boring last week, and that was England Slovenia that felt like a nil-nil but ended up being a one-nil with uh, Harry Kane scoring the late goal. I watched uh, Bolivia against Brazil, another nil-nil. Uh, Venezuela-Uruguay, uh, another nil-nil. And then uh, got to watch uh, Georgia against Wales. Uh, Fox had advertised that this was going to be on FS2. But the uh, U-17 game preempted the coverage of the game. So they bumped uh, Georgia against Wales to Fox Deportes. So I watched that uh, through Fubo instead. Which, uh, which U-17 game was it? Was that the U.S. game? I think it was the U.S. game. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was the tail end of the uh, India-USA uh, game. Uh, on FS1, they had um, a baseball pregame show. Um, so that had bumped Colin Cowherd to FS2. And then that ended up bumping uh, Georgia-Wales uh, to Fox Deporters. So the, the, the frustrating thing with that is just that lack of communication from Fox to let us know what was going on. We had to find out the uh, the hard way. Uh, similar thing happened also, I, I understand, for the Bulgaria-France game over the weekend, which was supposed to be on the FS, FS2, but was bumped to Fox Sports Go and replaced with a college football game. Uh, next up was Ireland against Moldova, uh, and then watched uh, Turkey against Iceland, uh, the U.S.-Panama game, I already mentioned that one. Uh, Portland-Orlando mentioned that one too. And uh, Wales and Ireland, of course, uh, mentioned that one. And last but not least, uh, the Netherlands against Sweden, which we had uh, Steve Banyard and Stuart Robson on that one. But uh, Netherlands are out. Um, in terms of Tuesday night, uh, the non-U.S. games, I did watch uh, parts of the Ecuador-Argentina game. And uh, also watched uh, parts of the Peru-Columbia game. 
And uh, I was actually, my daughter's had a soccer practice, so I was watching that, uh, I think at a Starbucks, um, using the Fubo app on that. Uh, so, Kartik, let's, let's talk about the U.S. Uh, Trinidad and Tobago game. But let's, uh, I want to start off in terms of the television coverage first before we talk, in, uh, talk about the actual game itself and, and uh, what it means. But um, I watched it on BN Sports. Um, the challenge that a lot of Americans had uh, last night in the United States was for those who didn't have BN Sports on their television network and wanted to watch it uh, online. There were huge issues online. Uh, Fubo had crashed. Uh, Go90 uh, was up and down. Sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't work. Uh, Sling TV did work uh, for the most part. Um, so I was able to watch uh, the game on Sling TV from from the Starbucks and watched it that way. But just a really frustrating night. Uh, the, the other thing that's frustrating to me about uh, being sports is coverage of the World Cup qualifiers is that they had eight of the eight games that were airing at basically the same time on Tuesday night. So you had five games from Conmebol and three from CONCACAF. Uh, out of the five from Conmebol, every single one of those had implica- implications on uh, qualifying. And with being sports not having that many, well, one, not having distribution, uh, what, 22 million homes, but not having any partnerships where they could say, okay, let's do a partnership with... I don't know, CBS, and have CBS show one of the, the big games on their network. Um, it's just, a, to me, a really difficult situation for soccer fans in the United States when BN Sports has so many of the rights. Yes, some of those um, CONCACAF games were on Telemundo Deportes uh, and Universo, so you're able to watch the CONCACAF games that way. But for the CONMEBOL games, the Peru-Colombia game especially, I mean, that was only on BN Sports Connect, uh, for those people who do have BN Sports Connect, great. For those who don't, then you have to use Fubo, which crashed, uh, or use the BN Sports Connect website, and that crashed too. So it was a just an awful night in terms of uh, for those who are trying to stream the coverage of whether it's Conmebol or CONCACAF. And because of the problems with the Conmebol games, that crashed uh, Fubo and uh, BN Sports Connect for the CONCACAF games too. So it was just a... It was horrible, Kartik, and a really difficult night. And, and at the same time, too, I think being sports coverage of uh, soccer yeah, in, in general. I, I, should just say, I should say I had all kinds of trouble with Fubo uh, uh, last night, which, of, of, again, um, this is the, the pitfall and downfalls of, of, of cord cutting. I haven't cut the cord, but I have cut the cord on BN to where I, I – I, reduce my cable bill by getting rid of channels of uh, on tier two packages, right? I mean, I just kind of have the basic package, which includes NBCSN. So I get that and FS1 and FS2, but I don't get BN. I don't get most of the other sports channels now um, uh, from DirecTV. I, I was incredibly frustrated and was just eventually will will admit, I, I mentioned I had watched uh, uh, one of the games uh, earlier in my, my thing. I eventually just switched to the match trackers. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the online coverage was frustrating, but um, I'm also getting tired of uh, being sports doing such a lousy job of promoting their own coverage of the games they're showing. 
uh, they're working really inside a vacuum where they think if, if they run a promo on their TV channel, that's good enough. Everybody's going to know which games are on which channels. Yeah, I actually have to check the program guide. I don't know. Those of you who follow me on Twitter probably noticed this on Monday morning or Sunday morning. I can't remember when, when it was that I went ahead and tweeted out their program guide, a link to their program guide, because I, uh, I was getting so many questions about who uh, who they were showing, what they were showing Tuesday night, because they had the rights to everything, basically. The whole night mm-hmm. they had the rights to in common the ball and uh, CONCACAF, and they had not answered any of those questions uh, publicly. I guess they ran a few ads, as you said. I'm not even sure they did that. I was getting tons of questions about it and had questions myself, so the only way to know is to go to their website and check out the programming guide. Now, it shouldn't be that way, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, and in hindsight, I think being sports is probably wishing that they didn't have the rights to that Trinidad uh, USA game uh, to broadcast, especially with so many comparable World Cup qualifiers coming down to the last game. Uh, and those games would have generated more viewers for them than Trinidad against US. You mean the, the Peru-Colombia game probably would have had much more viewers in terms of uh, Spanish language uh, fans or English language fans watch, watching that game. So it was uh, a, a bad night for BN Sports in terms of um, just being able to try to see BN Sports. Again, I, when I got home, I, I watched the rest of the game on, on Sling TV. Um, the other issue, Kartik, I had, I, I know you watched the game on uh, Universo, uh, but the coverage yes. from BN Sports was uh, substandard um, for a game of this caliber. Um, I thought that uh, Phil Shane and Kobe Jones did okay in the commentary. I thought Kobe was, was better than he usually is. Um, but but I mean, a huge issue. I mean, you had Julian Gonzalez, who was doing the sideline reporter there um, at the game in uh, Cuba. I think the name of the, the city is Cuba, in, in, yeah. in Trinidad. Um, but there was a delay. There was an audio delay of about three to four seconds. So Phil Shane would ask him a question in the middle of the game, like so. So Julian, what's going on with uh, Sunil Galati? Like what, what's 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 he doing on the sidelines? And there'd be an audible three to four second delay, and then Julian would come in and say, "Oh, this is what's happening on on the pitch or off the pitch," and and that was really amateurish and, and really unprofessional. Uh, you would think that uh, again, same thing that with the Honduras game, the same criticism. Being sports should be sending the talent to the stadium. Uh, they didn't. So Phil Shane and Kobe Jones were calling the game from the studio. The other issue, too, was that it sounded like uh, Phil Shane and Kobe were in a studio with a generator in the background. There was a lot of background, background noise. Uh, that didn't sound good. It, I've noticed that on BN before. It's not the first time it's happened. Huh. Yeah, it, it, was just, it was just in terms of um, the, the whole experience. I mean, the game is we'll get to in a minute, but the whole experience was poor. Um, in the studio, we had uh, Kevin Egan, who did a great job, as always. You had Carlos Bocanegra, Jonathan Spector and then Kobe Jones in the studio. And um, I thought that Carlos Bocanegra and Jonathan uh, Spector especially were really lightweight in terms of their analysis. Uh, One example here was at halftime, after that first half, which was abysmal performance by the United States, the halftime analysis from Carlos Bocanegra was, he said, quote, we need someone to come in uh, for the start of the second half, maybe Bedoya or Zussi or who knows who. And for somebody that you're paying to have an analyst come in and he's suggesting to bring on Badoya or Zussi or who knows who, who knows who is not a, a, an accurate thing to say. And, and, and actually, uh, we could get into tactics later, but the fact that Badoya didn't start and Nagby started ahead of him and then that switch was not made and Nagby was brought off, but you're already chasing the game, so you bring Dempsey on. Uh, it just uh, – 
I, I can't explain the tactics, but yeah. uh, I, Bedoya would have been the right guy. Yeah, I agree with Bocanegra on that, but he should be more definitive and give the reason, which is because you don't have anyone to hold the ball and to free Michael Bradley to go forward and make plays because Nagby is so tactically deficient. Uh, you need that player. That player is Alejandro Bedoya, who can bring other players uh, for the U.S. in kind of a selfless way into the match and, and change the way your, sh- your shape is and change the way you're playing in midfield. But uh, he obviously didn't make that that very basic level of analysis that you, you need. Yeah, and in post-match, Bocanegra was, uh, he said he was almost speechless, which I understand in terms of being a former U.S. international and, and being so connected to the, the U.S. team. But in that type of, in that instance, you need somebody to, to be very vocal. You need someone to be, to give some critical analysis. You need a uh, uh, Thomas Rongen, or you need a Craig Burley, or somebody of that sort who's able to actually digest what happened and to Look, express his the, viewpoints. ESPN has done this very well with Taylor Twelman and with Casey Keller uh, in particular. We haven't seen Brian McBride the, in the last uh, month or so, but he, he's usually very good too. Uh, in taking the former player's perspective, but not being a company man, and talking about the softness of U.S. players, etc. The difference here is both Negro right now is the technical director or the general manager of Atlanta United, an MLS club. And there is still a culture in that league that prevents you from speaking out and giving uh, giving your opinions. And and I've said I've told you before on this show, Casey Keller, who who, who I've mentioned repeatedly and was also in in Orlando Friday night. He gets more stick from the Seattle fans. Uh, because he isn't a company man. And it's almost like you, you wonder when you look at Keller, is it worth it to, sp- to speak out? Well, it's got to be worth it now after what, what's transpired. But Bocanegra, um, I didn't watch the end, but I would believe his coverage and then that one, that of Jonathan Spector, who's a current player for Orlando City, uh, is uh, probably reflective of um, the culture in U.S. soccer, where you don't want to speak out because there are repercussions if you do. I, I can speak to that personally from my own experiences. There are repercussions if you if you speak out. It is a, uh, a as our good friend Simon Evans uh, tweeted this morning, and he's obviously back in in the U.K. now. It's a it's a country club mentality. It's a small group of insiders who run um, U.S. soccer like it's a clique, and if you want to fit in with that clique, you don't criticize. Um, which is why Twelman has been on the outs with a lot of these people for a long time, I sense. Because, uh, I mean, I don't know that definitively, but he's, he's the one guy that has a prominent uh, microphone. I mentioned Keller, but Keller does local games. That has a prominent national platform and speaks out. Well, let's get into that, Kartik. So, so one ex- observation I, I found last night, too, was after the game. I mean, so post-match, the analysis from BN Sports was extremely poor. But um, so you turned on ESPN and watched SportsCenter and, and saw yes. Taylor Twelman. Because uh, I, I knew this is the way – the one thing you could say about ESPN, and it's usually with American sports, so I don't bother. Uh, but they're very dynamic like a CNN or a, uh, or a uh, MSNBC or Fox News in that they break in if something dramatic happens, something important in sports happens. So they broke into regular programming and uh, had Twelman and, uh, and Max Bredos Go ready and heat up. 
Yeah. And just 10 minutes, I know there, there's been a clip that's circulated now on, on Twitter and on Reddit of about three minutes. Uh, Taylor and Max went on for about 10 minutes, a good mm-hmm. 10 minutes after the game, to the point where there's another uh, uh, publication. I, I was doing their post-game podcast for them, and I didn't call in because I was so – I was angry, and I'm watching Taylor, and he's firing me up more. And he said every – I think he spoke for – the, the 95 percent of the fan base uh, of, uh, or the fans of soccer in this country that feel like they've been disenfranchised mm-hmm. by the U.S. Soccer Federation. It was an epic rant, and I encourage everyone to whatever clips are out there circulating to to find uh, Bredos and, and Twelman and, and watch I, I, I thought it was, at the same time, I thought it was eye-opening that uh, we haven't heard anything from Fox yet. We haven't heard anything from Alexi Lalas or uh, even Rob Stone. Rob or- Stone, in particular, being a guy who I'll compliment him. He did a very good job on earlier in the day with uh, Portugal, Switzerland, and set, setting up Connaball qualifiers, which were not on his network. But um, his his tweets and his public defenses of, of the the company men in U.S. soccer uh, have been nauseating, to say the least, mm-hmm. uh, through the course of the, of the years, particularly the last few months. So I'd love to hear from him, love to hear from, from Alexi Lawless. And, and uh, Alexi, do more than just put it on the players and say they don't have heart or desire or whatever um, f- fraudulent uh, uh, narrative you want to you, – you adopted a, f- a few months ago uh, – the, the reality is when Jurgen Klinsmann called out U.S. players as being unfit, which I, I believe is absolutely the case. They're not mentally fit to where they uh, don't make mental errors late in matches. They're not physically fit to where they're, they're intelligent in their movements late in matches. I think that's all obvious to a trained football observer who watches the U.S. men's national team. And uh, this was two years ago, but uh, when Klinsmann was still the manager, Lawless had this impassioned defense. Anybody who, uh, who knows U.S. players knows that they're the fittest players players and they run around and they give more effort than anyone blah 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 you know all the company lines yeah. uh, the reality is we saw time and again mentally uh, a lack of mental sharpness and tactical awareness from the united states in this qualifying campaign late in matches so maybe lawless owes not only jürgen klinsman but the entire um fandom a- an apology for that rather um uh, you know, that rather just a- absolutely wrong defense, and he got so indignant about Klinsman's comments. Well, it played out that way. That yeah. was the thing I saw late in this match, that you had um, you had a U.S. team that really wasn't fit enough to, to push the issue. And we've seen that in other, uh, in other qualifiers. It, 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 it's stunning because Lawless was giving a stereotype of the U.S. player in the 1990s and early 2000s when you had guys that had to be sharper and fitter because there was a stereotype about American players and they had to break a glass ceiling at European clubs. Harks, Winalda, Reina, Reina, Joe Max Moore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Brian McBride. So they had to be fitter. They had to be sharper. But this is not the case with this generation of U.S. players Yet Lawless felt like he had to defend the whole program, and uh, uh, that's just one example. The the tough thing about this Kartik is that uh, I, I, we haven't talked about this yet until the, right this moment. But uh, I think both you and I have seen this coming for a long time. In some ways, oh, yeah. I'm not surprised at all. I was thinking watching the game last night. I was thinking that in the last few minutes, the U.S. would pull out a an equalizer. I mean, just a kind that's of, what I thought too. Yeah, that, that it would happen. But as it unfolded, I was like, okay, I'm I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked. I mean, I'm sure a ton of people out there were shocked at this. 
But we've seen this for, I mean, this is not even, this is going back years, Kartik, but even back to the, the Gold Cup this past summer, in terms of the way that uh, Fox especially hyped up this U.S. national team against B-team uh, uh, opponents, yeah, went all the way to the final, won the general, final, and they're right. talking about how great the United States is and how wonderful this is. And you and I and a lot of these listeners that are listening right now could see right through that in terms of the, the, the teams they were coming up against. It was, it was a joke. It was a this joke clearly of started this, – this decline had started in 2010 after – the World Cup, which the U.S. did pretty well and won their group, actually. Uh, and the U.S. had done well in qualifying. And I remember speaking to Richard Farley, our former co-host on this show, in early 2011, thinking the U.S. may not qualify for the following World Cup, the 2018 World Cup. Uh, Richard might deny he had that conversation with me then, but I remember that because we saw the youth ranks were bare. Uh, the U.S. was in the one period in the last 30 years where the U.S. wasn't performing well at the youth level. And um, the, na- the senior national team was get- beginning to, to show tremendous flaws in friendlies and in the gold cup in 2011 the solution was to fire bob bradley well it wasn't really his fault maybe he shouldn't have been given a second cycle right you could argue you never give an international manager a second cycle but uh this has been coming for a long time and the performances of the u.s even when they were winning matches became less and less impressive through the course of the last few years where uh there were less chance creations, less possession with a purpose, right? Less creativity in the final third. And all of that came home to roost last night because you thought, I thought after Pulisic's goal that, okay, the U.S. is just... They're going to push, push, push. Maybe Trinidad will have some, you know, fantastic goal line clearances, big saves, but they'll just pepper the goal. They'll be like Man City was against QPR when down 2-1. Man City, it was shot 43 and 44 they scored on in that game and like shot 18 and 19 on target or something like that. Maybe not 18, like 12 and 13 on target. Instead, you had Trinidad almost take a 3-1 lead a minute later. Coward had to make a great save. Yep. Yeah, on a breakaway, and then you had uh, U.S. defenders uh, really getting away with some cynical challenges uh, because of last-ditch desperate defending. Um, and that, again, I think is a fitness issue. Sorry, Alexi. Yeah, plus, plus uh, after the first goal for uh, Trinidad, there was the penalty call that should have been a penalty. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, very yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, mean I think the referee didn't want to really influence the game and be accused of that. So the U.S. and to, to the, to the rec- recognition of uh, to the credit of the U.S. players, they recognized that and they made some very cynical, desperate challenges when they were out of position. Uh, I want to remind our listeners before we go any further, this was a Trinidad experimental squad, a youth squad. Uh, their best player, Kevin Molino, who to me is one of the most talented players in MLS, didn't even play in this game. He's the reigning MLS player of the week, by the way. Um, did not even play in this game, was on the bench. You had several other veterans for TNT uh, not given a run out in this game because uh, the, the TNT Federation wants to see what they've got with this next generation of players. A lot of them play in their domestic league. There are some uh, M- uh, MLS, NASL, and USL guys who played last night. There are also a uh, majority of the of their guys were guys that uh, play in the Trinidadian League, which is uh, basically an amateur league. It's a high-level amateur league if you're at certain clubs uh, because they qualify for CONCACAF competitions, but it is essentially a semi-professional league. One of the defining moments for me, Kartik, and and probably most listeners probably uh, may not remember this or may not share this moment, but for me in this game, I was just 
so shocked at how flat the United States was, how lack of, how much lack of inspiration or determination there was. Yeah. But the one moment that I, I, I vividly recall is just, I think about three to four minutes to go in the game, the U.S. had say, a corner kick. And uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of ball, by, ball boys around in the stadium. But still, Michael Bradley kind of just was strolling towards the corner flag. And I'm like, "Why run, run. You get to the corner flag, take a quick corner, get in there. And he's kind of just strolling. Contrast that with the urgency you saw from the Welsh side. Let's just, just compare the two sides you, you support, the two countries you're associated with. The urgency from the Welsh side at the end of that match in Cardiff. Now, of course, they're at home and they're being spurred on by that great atmosphere in Cardiff. But... Um, uh, they were desperate. They were desperate to get to, to get one last chance. It, and Re- Republic of Ireland was ha- hanging on for dear life. Um, again, Martin O'Neill, tactical masterclass, which we've seen from him for years in in English football and in, in uh, club football. But uh, just contrast the the urgency, the the, the desire. The, the I, this comes back to us to a generation of American players who have been coddled, who have developed a sense of entitlement, and have believed their own hype because they're watching Fox or they're, be, they're living in this protected cocoon of the U.S. soccer atmosphere. I, I have to say uh, two players for me that started, stood out as guys who wanted it last night, Christian Pulisic, 19-year-old, mm-hmm. and Tim Howard, who made some mistakes, right, and had a bad game but still uh, clearly was, 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 was trying, 37-year-old. What about the guys between 20 and 36? Where were they? Right. Where, where, where was their head is more important. Yeah, and Tim Howard, I mean, that, that first goal, the own goal was, I, th- I think, unstoppable. That was just a, yeah. a, a freak goal. And then the second goal was an incredible goal from Trinidad. And uh, I, I think the, the question marks about Howard came from uh, the, the Trinidad should have had a third goal. Uh, he misplayed another free kick or another. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that one was a free kick. And he was very fortunate. Uh, is the kind of consensus on social media that that ball, when it went off his shoulder, probably should have gone in the back of the net and it ended up going, taking kind of a freak bounce and he was able to clear it. Yeah, yeah, which looked ugly, but uh, I, I, I'm not a goalkeeper oh, expert by any means. Ultimately, he recovered. Ultimately, right, he recovered right, exactly. He was able to stop the ball and, and uh, get it away. I mean, that's the thing, Kartik. Actually, uh, you missed the B in sports uh, coverage last night, but during the broadcast towards the end of the game, Phil Shane mentioned, he says, uh, some people have been calling for uh, U.S. soccer to clean the decks, and, and which was exactly what you had said a couple of weeks ago, I think, on our um, Why the U.S. Soccer Media Doesn't Get It podcast that we talked about after the, uh, the U.S. defeat and, and how the U.S. soccer media in, in, in general and in, in total really were really very weak, or very, very soft on the United States team and not critical at all. When you look at this U.S. men's national team, Kartik, uh, there's so many issues to, to go through in terms of how the U.S. soccer is, uh, is set up from the, the, the youth playing levels, uh, from the leadership uh, within U.S. soccer. But if there is one kind of one biggest issue that you see that needs to be fixed, what would you say it is? With the media? No, 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 no. Overall, the entire U.S. soccer program, in terms of if the, I mean, is is there is there one thing that needs to be fixed? That's more, I guess the 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 uh, one thing that needs to be fixed is if there's one thing, it's having leaders that deal in some degree of reality and media that agrees in, that deals in some degree of reality. We saw once again this week the insecurity, the paranoia, the um, the projection that somehow. The U.S. 
soccer media and and U.S. soccer hierarchy always has to self-justify. Okay, get your head out of that mode and start accepting reality, which is you had a good run. You elevated the sport in this country, but this is not a fluid thing. I mean, it's a very fluid thing. It's not a static thing. Uh, Things evolve. France had to retool. The Netherlands are having to retool now. Belgium had to retool. Germany, etc. You need to accept reality and not uh, hang your hat on uh, on false narratives that you've created in order to make yourself feel better and more secure in global in the global football context. And accept that the U.S. Uh, for the hundreds of millions of dollars spent on the sport in this country. This is the thing that galls me. You can talk about population all you want, right? Mm-hmm. The reality is the U.S. has outspent its CONCACAF opponents with the possible exception of Mexico uh, by infinite amounts of money on this sport specifically. It's not just about population and economic status and all that. It's also the spending within uh, the sport in this country, yet you're getting beaten by these countries. Uh, You're getting piped to making the World Cup. You have to accept a certain degree of reality and stop saying, well, if European countries came to CONCACAF, they would struggle. Or, oh, if you you look at uh, our our top players and uh, European coaches don't respect American players, and that's why uh, they're not getting the chance. And, and these sorts of kind of forced, insecure narratives. Oh, you know, we can't culturally accept German-American players because there's a mindset of American players and Fabian Johnson and, and, and et cetera. They don't, they don't share it. Get your head out of your rear end with mm-hmm. that stuff, okay? And stop parroting uh, – this is to the media specifically – stop parroting those insecure defenses that come from the likes of Bruce Arena and Sunil Gulati. Um, I'll just finish on this. Sunil Gulati in 2009 talked about what a success Project 2010 was going to be, which said the U.S. could win the World Cup by Project by 2010 because the U.S. was poised. Um, everybody kind of laughed at the statement. The U.S. was poised to, to make a World Cup run in 2010 and had a good World Cup. As I said earlier, they won the group. But um, no one actually called him on the comment. No one actually called him on, this is the president of U.S. soccer who was living in an alternate reality, equating the United States in his mind to the level of a Germany or Spain or France and Argentina or Brazil, when in reality the U.S. is consistently struggling with the likes of Jamaica and Trinidad and Costa Rica and Honduras, etc., Carty, I'll follow up with that with uh, what Bruce Arena said post-match after the Trinidad-Tobago uh, loss last night. And he says um, he was asked um, about changes, about making wholesale changes to improve this U.S. men's national team. And he said, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. Certainly, I think if our league continues to grow, it benefits the national team program. We have some good players coming up. Nothing has to change. To make any kind of crazy changes, I think, would be foolish. We're, bu- we're building a consistent, professional league. We have players coming abroad at, of a certain quality. There's nothing there. There's no excuses for us not to qualify for the World Cup. Well, I agree with him in terms of uh, there's no excuses. Uh, I, th- I think it's just ridiculous that somebody at that level is, is I guess, parroting, is uh, saying and the, the, he, on message. And he, knows, he knows about the league. Look, when he signed Nigel de Jong and Ashley Cole, and, and uh, de Jong didn't really work out in this league, uh, Ashley Cole did, uh, although the Galaxy have gotten worse. It isn't Ashley Cole's fault. Arena basically mocked the level of the league, saying, well, I know this league better than you do, and you're saying Ashley Cole's washed up. He's going to do fine here. 
well, he did. He's done fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think he's taken on a different hat. He made a lot of critiques that made sense about the league and the structure when he was uh, felt like he had been jilted. He'd been fired by U.S. Soccer. He had proven his worth by r- raising the galaxy to this this very high level of. Obviously, he had um, he had uh, uh, Donovan, but basically on the backs of foreign players. Other than Jaiessi Zardis, uh, the generation of really young players who came through the Galaxy Academy, uh, the Jack McBeans, the the, the Villarreal's, the, etc. He didn't really give a shot in the first team, honestly, at the Galaxy. Just from his own experiences. Um, the thing I think that is important to recognize is there are significant countries who missed the World Cup. Okay, it, the U.S. isn't the first. There are France missed two World Cups in a row. Uh, the Netherlands missed the World Cup in 2002. Ger- Germany has never missed a World Cup, but they, uh, they they they've struggled at Euros in the past. And it's how you react to those misses. Mm-hmm. And the recovery from it and the acknowledgement that um, determines how you do in the future. So you um, do you recover do you make an effort to change the trajectory of the way you train and handle things? Now, don't look at England because England has continued to, to double down on their mistakes. They're, and maybe that's why they're always in, in a holding pattern. I know they won their group in Euro qualifying. We all know what's going to happen next summer to England, right? Mm-hmm. We, can all, we can all pretty much predict that. Do you make the progressive change now so that you become a France or a Germany, or do you um, do, 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 do you just uh, wallow in this self-pity and, and self-justification? That goes back to my, my point, the self-justification to where you end up being in, uh, you know, England or where Netherlands is now, or worse yet, end up as, like Scotland. That is the doomsday scenario. You don't want the U.S. to end up like that. But if you have the wrong attitude, because the Scots, after getting eliminated in the 2000 playoff, right, against uh, uh, England, two legs, Paul Scholes' goal at Hampden Park uh, carried it for, for England into Euro 2000. They had an absolute wrong attitude. And then they tried to fix it by bringing Bertie Votes in, who culturally was the wrong fit. Um, they had a decent qualifying campaign for Euro 2008. But other than that, it's just like deeper, deeper, deeper. Um, there has been a, an unwillingness, I think, to uh, to put Scottish football at the forefront of some of the big clubs in Scotland. Yeah, I mean, Kartik, you know, first, but Kartik, yeah. I think we're going to go into that holding pattern because the the election for the, the next uh, USSF uh, president is going to be actually in February. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, so you might have Sunil Galati running again, perhaps. Uh, I mean, which is, sounds ridiculous, but you never know. But to me, it's it's that point. Uh, I'm interested to hear what Eric Ronaldo has to say and what his uh, plans are if he is going to run for the, uh, the, the the board seat there, as well as as other uh, individuals. I wonder who are if people interested. take Ronaldo more seriously now because uh, there seems to be this this narrative, this underground narrative that's begun to circulate from pushed by people in U.S. soccer and, and their media allies. Uh, not the entire media isn't their ally. I don't want to give that impression, but they, they do have allies in the media. Uh, some of the same people you saw uh, manufacture excuses in advance of the Trinidad game uh, without naming names. I think, names. I think um, Ronaldo... They, they have said things, just to finish up, they have kind of... Um, uh, characterize Ronaldo as a malcontent and a guy who is desperate for attention, and that's why he's talking about this. Yeah. Continue. 
I think a lot of people within U.S. soccer would fear Eric Ronaldo um, because he because he would change things. He would uh, shake up the system and uh, change things from the top. I mean, the the thing about Ronaldo, if he does run, is he has to be careful about it's going to be a political minefield for him to dodge around in terms of uh, running a campaign for this one because there are going to be a lot of people out there against him, probably a lot of people behind the scenes saying things about him uh, to try and undermine him. And I'll I- tell you how, how badly they try and undermine him. MLS, whenever Winalda gives a speech, like at the NSCAA every year or the Soccer Coaches Convention, as it's now known, National Soccer Coaches Association, uh, they will plant people in the room to ask him leading questions uh, because they're, uh, they're anti-Winalda and they're paranoid about his, um, his appeal. Because when you go to the Coaches Convention, uh, Chris, mm-hmm. which I do most years, W- w- Waldo was the attraction. I mean, uh, there, there were more people wanting to go see Winalda speak a- about the issues of the day in the game than to, to attend Bruce Arena's coaching clinic. Seriously. Right, right. I mean, he, he, yeah. he, he, has, he has a following and he has a presence that scares uh, the leaders in MLS and U.S. soccer. With Winalda, with, with you do get real talk. You do get transparency. You do get honesty. And you do get fresh ideas. So whether it's him or somebody else is going to run for that, that uh, presidency, uh, it, it's, it's a perfect timing in terms of, of everything that's happened to clear, clean the decks, uh, to bring in somebody new that has fresh ideas that's going to change up the system. Because as of right now, it's not working. And it's a disaster. And and, that, and that's the thing, though, too. We've seen this coming for a long time. A lot of people have had their head in the sand. A lot of people use xenophobia in terms of uh, just trying to kick out Klinsman because they thought that he was the problem. And as we've seen from this, too, it was not Klinsman that was the issue. It was the entire U.S. soccer system. No, but we saw self-justification last night where people were beginning to uh, put the blame again on Klinsman he got zero points out of the first two matches. Okay, he played Mexico. That I, that's a failure, the losing to Mexico at home. Uh, losing in, in San Jose is something every U.S. coach has done. Uh, so that was a game that you look at the beginning of the hex, you're not going to get anything in, in Costa Rica. So you're basically minus three at that point, and you have eight games to make up that minus three. But there was still a, a, an effort, and there was some pushback. I, I've never been more popular on Twitter than I have in the last uh, 18 hours or so since this result, 12 hours as we record this. Uh, got gotten uh, hundreds and hundreds of likes for for my tweets, but there have still been the um, those in the insider clique that have pushed back on some of the statements, mm-hmm. and they always go back to the Klinsman issue because that they've ginned up this faux nationalism so much through the years that that is their that is their fallback position is uh, oh well we brought in this German guy and uh, he screwed it up for us and we brought which ended up being the narrative in Scotland I don't mention Scotland just randomly they brought Bertie Votes in who was actually Jurgen Klinsman's mentor and who uh, Klinsman brought in to help the U.S. Um, when he was the manager, and Birdie failed. But then it became all about, well, we brought in Birdie votes, and it didn't work, and it, we're just going to double down on what we're doing. And Scotland hasn't qualified for a major tournament. Now it will be 20 years um, since their last major tournament appearance. So I don't think the U.S. will go that extreme direction, but, Chris, you never know. The Scotland example stands out there. And I don't want to sound like I'm fear-mongering, but if you're not shook up by what happened last night, then you're not living in reality. The Scotland example shines brightly as what could happen if you don't make the changes you need to make. Absolutely.
All right, Kartik, let's move on to listener mailbag, and we've got some uh, questions that segue perfectly into what we've been discussing, and we can help answer those. Uh, the first one's from Ian Wallace uh, through Twitter, and he said, uh, I'd like to know how this changes the way Fox covers the World Cup. So, so to me, Kartik, to, to answer this one, um, in some ways, actually, it makes it better, which is a strange thing to say, but I think for anyone that's been listening to this podcast for a long time, you might agree with us, but when Fox does cover the U.S. men's national team, it becomes so much rah-rah USA that uh, they often forget about the opponents, don't put much uh, emphasis yeah. or coverage or, or time into the opponent, and it becomes a, a cheerleader festival. Um, so with, with this, Fox is going to ha- have to up their game in terms of their analysis with no U.S. national team. Um, in terms of the commitment level, uh, there's a possibility, actually, that um, with the U.S. not making it, there's a possibility that behind the scenes they might try to reduce costs. Uh, there could yeah. potentially be layoffs in terms of in di- different positions or not sending as many people to uh, to Russia. I think 450 is what they said that they would do. That's a possibility in terms of behind the scenes, some things that we probably wouldn't see. But uh, my, my input is that I think Fox will actually end up uh, probably doing a better coverage of the World Cup because the U.S. is not in it because they have to focus on the other teams um, by yeah, I, I had said that all along that I thought that uh, it would the World Cup would be unbearable on Fox until the U.S. was eliminated. Well, now uh, they're not even going, but they're going to have to uh, uh, retool their shtick because, as you said, and this is the most annoying thing. This is the this is the clear contrast between a guy like Taylor Twellman and a guy like Casey Keller and the guys uh, that are on uh, Fox. So. Twelman and Keller and McBride and, and, and Herc Gomez, I think Herc Gomez just in general knows the region. Uh, so he, maybe he doesn't have to do the research. But um, those guys try and cover the U.S.'s opponents. They try and understand the U.S.'s opponent. Sebastian Salazar, who I mentioned earlier, who I think is going to be, uh, become a star if we get our heads out of our rear ends and, and deal in reality. Because uh, he, he, he's got such a cosmopolitan outlook on this thing. Uh, Seb Salazar, these guys... They spend their time covering uh, the other CONCACAF teams, understanding them, and then dissecting what the U.S. needs to do uh, when they play them. Now, Fox, even though so many of these guys in uh, in the other CONCACAF teams are in their faces, right? They play in Major League Soccer, the league they cover and promote and uh, ad nauseum on that network. Uh, they don't. They don't spend any time, devote any resources or airtime to discussing uh, th- those teams, unless it's Mexico. So um, they just have to retool how they present uh, the, the U.S. men's national team. They have to be more objective in the future, and and uh, they're partly responsible for this because the cheerleading that comes from Fox and the people in in the U.S. soccer. Um, uh, aristocracy or, higher, uh, or royalty, if you will, that, that tell me privately they prefer Fox to ESPN and that they're you know, annoyed by things Taylor Twellman says, etc. Uh, those people uh, uh, ha- have, again, diluted themselves in a state of uh, a- absolute uh, – self uh, in the lack of self-awareness self-delusion because they're believing what they see on Fox as well and it becomes just this vacuum and this vicious cycle which we have to get out of which is why um, you know Chris if the uh, if the Costa Rica qualifier the one from Red Bull Arena had been on uh, Fox I think the reaction would have been completely different uh, it was just that Ian dark uh, in the first half is basically saying how oh, US is rubbish and um, 
and, and Casey Keller at halftime and Herc Gomez at halftime. Like, well, what is this? These, we're getting played off the pitch. On Fox, the narrative would have been we're, we have more shots. We control more possession. I had someone cite that to me the other day about the Costa Rica game. Oh, the U.S. really bossed the game if you look at the metrics. Like, well, what, what are you talking about? Costa Rica scored an early goal. That's what happens in any – even in other American sports. In football, in American football, if you get out to a big lead, the opposing quarterback has a ton of passing yard, yards and more total yards because they're playing from behind. <laughs> it's just logic. Exactly. But this is the point. There's this, there has been this effort with Fox in, in response to Ian's question. Sorry, I'm going on and on here. But to self-delude about the U.S., it's delusion. Get, they need to snap out of it now, and maybe last night we'll wake them up. Maybe that's why we haven't heard from Stone and Lawless yet. They're doing some serious soul-searching uh, and, and realizing that their colleague, Eric Winalda, who they have uh, marginalized, has been right all along. Yeah, the challenge for this one, uh, Kartik, is that Fox has the rights for until 2026. So in terms of controlling the narrative uh, and controlling the message, um, they, they've, got, uh, they've, they've got the monopoly on it. For, you mean, for, for now through to 2026. So, I mean, a lot can happen in, in, in that time. Um, but in some ways, I, th- I think Fox, um, they've been quiet so far. I mean, I'm sure they're going to come out and start talking maybe this weekend. But for them, that's, this has got to be a huge shock to the system. I mean, the, the estimates are that um, the value of the rights for the 2018 World Cup uh, have decreased by $50 million, uh, just based on, on the U.S. not making it to the tournament there. But uh, let's move on, Kartik. The next one is from Jay Riddle through Twitter, too. He says, uh, what does this all mean for World Cup broadcasters? And, and Kartik, I'll, I'll kick off on this one, too. And, and I think in many ways, we've talked about Fox, but the, the winner in this one actually is Telemundo Deportes. Because Telemundo now, you've got Mexico, uh, Costa Rica, Panama, and possibly Honduras making it into, uh, into the World Cup from the CONCACAF region. Uh, all of them are Spanish-speaking countries. Uh, of course, it's going to hurt Telemundo and Fox, of course, but it's going to hurt Telemundo a little bit less uh, in terms of the U.S. men's national team not making it. But they've got the, the Spanish-speaking countries there, and I think Telemundo is going to be the one that's going to be gaining the most from the World Cup next summer, while Fox is going to be trying to figure out how to boost the ratings in some other ways, maybe focusing more on, on the soccer rather than the uh, the cheerleading for the United States. Yeah, next one. That's the case. Next one is uh, from Ngoy from Twitter, and he said, uh, bye-bye MLS money, considering they are mooching off the U.S. men's national team TV deals. And he has a point uh, there, Kartik. Yeah, no, he has a very good point. I just don't know if the value of the U.S. National team package actually goes down with this failure, or if there will be uh, some some desire to keep. Well, I don't know. I mean, Fox and ESPN think, are both in financial uh, straits. They, they, I don't think they can afford to play, pay as much for the package as they have. Right. I, th- I think it has to go down. I mean, in terms of the uh, the value for the U.S. men's national team TV rights, which are uh, combined with MLS, they're, they're they're commingled. So I think in many ways, I mean, the, the the MLS deal currently goes from what 2015 to 2022. So it goes into the next World Cup. Um, 
I mean, the, the next World Cup after this, this next summer's one. I, I mean, with the US, it, a lot of it depends on the next couple of years in terms of what they do, in terms of trying to boost this team, uh, bring in a quality manager, bring in some quality leadership, have a stronger vision for this US men's national team from, from the youth levels all the way through the entire system, have somebody to look at um, the, the way that the leagues are in the United States are, are structured. There's a lot of issues that, that need to be addressed. And I think in many ways, too, that this is going to have an impact on uh, MLS and it's going to have an impact on uh, the U.S. men's national team uh, in terms of the TV rights value as, as more and more people are moving move to court cutting anyway. But um, next one up is uh, Sunny SoCal, Rob25 through Twitter. And uh, he just uh, gives a comment here, Kartik. He says, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting which talking head becomes an, an expert on soccer in the coming weeks. And I think what he's talking about in terms of um, some of the, the non-soccer people, if you have a Colin Cowherd or who, who knows who from ESPN suddenly becomes an expert and starts, starts talking about soccer and how the U.S. men's national team is a disgrace and a failure, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I already saw a tweet from Chris Fowler uh, this morning who I follow because of tennis and, and college football. Uh, but he's actually a soccer fan. He's a big Chelsea fan. Uh, I don't know how closely he follows the U.S. men's national team program. I know he follows uh, Chelsea very closely. But uh, I saw an interesting tweet from him this morning, so it certainly caught his attention, uh, yeah. to say the least. So, uh, But he doesn't have the platform. It would have to be one of those cowherds or Whitlocks, one of those guys, Skip Bayless, someone like that. Yeah. All right, moving on. This is uh, in terms of what we discussed on last week's show, and this is from Dave Brunk, and he sent this in through Twitter. He says, well done, fellas. I am turning away from Premier League more than last season and watching Bundesliga. West Ham is behind the paywall too often. Okay, I thought this was going to be the big topic of conversation this week, Chris, because uh, I didn't realize the U.S. was going to crash and burn like this. But the the response to our podcast last week, our featured topic – stunned me. Now, it's of course not a scientific sample. It's not. um, Maybe people are piling on because they see where it's going. But I had, I don't know if you've even looked at my timeline. I had so many people Mm -hmm. tell me they've switched from from the Premier League to the Bundesliga this year because of either NBC Sports Gold or the lack of competitiveness of Premier League matches. Now, I don't know that we've seen that that's it entirely responsible for the bump in ratings we've seen on Fox, but it could be. Uh, still, there's far more people watching the Premier League in this country than the Bundesliga. Let's not pretend like it's, it's, it's not the case, but there's clearly a trend line, and uh, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm, I'm kind of stunned, and I said that in my tweet, uh, responding to everybody. Uh, my general tweet was that I'm just stunned. I, I knew there was something afoot, but I didn't realize it was this massive or this widespread. And maybe, again, it's just a small sample size of the people who follow me on Twitter and interact with me on Twitter and interact with us on this podcast, but it's, uh, it's something NBC needs to at least be aware of, even if they're not making any um, change regarding it. Well, let's, let's jump around a little bit. We'll come back to the listener mailbag in a second, but I do want to go into the, the TV streaming news. And, uh, Kartik, the good news is, is that uh, NBC Sports this weekend for the Liverpool-Manchester United match are going to be debuting a brand-new uh, commentator. Well, actually, he's brand-new to NBC Sports, but uh, he's not new to any of us in the United States, and that's Derek Ray. 
Uh, Derek Gray is going to be uh, has joined NBC Sports as a part-time commentator, and will be commentating games now and again. So uh, that's excellent news, and I think ah, we- best news we've had in US in the US soccer scene in a while. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I, no. I have to say, I would almost prefer to see Derek Ray at Fox commenting, uh, commentating on Bundesliga games because he has a unique expertise about that league that no one else, that very few other people in this country have, but um, this is certainly preferable to the current alternatives at NBC. And that's the thing, though, too. I mean, it's a breath of fresh air to have uh, Derek Ray back uh, and working for NBC Sports and broadcasting the Premier League. So I think this weekend he's doing the game with, uh, I think, Phil Neville, and I'm sure he's going to be at the stadium. But the other thing, to me, is that with the, with the U.S. crashing out, to me, at least, I think Derek Ray would be perfect for Fox's broadcast uh, for next summer for the World Cup, to have somebody who's very worldly, uh, who's uh, a professional at a at his game, who knows these these teams, these players extremely well, and to have somebody with that confidence and that expertise to come in as a commentator is a must-have. So it'll be interesting to see if Fox uh, uh, goes that way. Yeah, I, I, I also have thought about this overnight, whether Fox now is going to retool their American heavy lineup and go with uh, some commentators and uh, co-commentators that might have an expertise in the countries that are actually competing in the World Cup. And, uh, if you were to hire Derek Ray, he has an unbelievable expertise on most of the uh, European nations competing uh, and a, a thorough uh, knowledge of South America as well. And uh, unique perspectives. Now, uh, part of the um, issue with Derek Ray, I think, and the culture around Fox Sports and U.S. soccer is that it's a culture of submission. He is a guy who very openly has been critical of uh, of various things. When he called New England Revolution games almost 20 years ago now, uh, he was taken off the broadcast in favor, I think, of in favor of Adrian Healy eventually because of um, his critiques uh, of uh, management of Walter Zenga, of other folks. And then I think also you've seen him uh, – we talked about Scotland a lot on this podcast. You've seen Derek Ray give the most articulate um, – articulate conversational pieces about the state of Scottish football and the mistakes that have been made. So uh, if Fox wants to go in a different direction, he's the guy, but I don't know if they'll do, they'll do that. Yeah, I don't think they'll change it either, although they should. They should seriously consider it in terms of Fox Sports looking at the talent that they're going to have as commentators. Uh, without the United States uh, uh, playing in the competition next summer, they really have to up their game. And to me, I mean, I think the John Strongs of the world will be fine. But you look at some of the other uh, announcers or commentators that uh, don't know the subject material as well and have been focusing mostly on uh, MLS games or um, I mean, lower league uh, soccer in the United States. You really need some experts to come in. So I wonder, I, we'll have to wait and see in terms of uh, what Fox announces if they go with a pretty much an all-American crew uh, to me, it should be based on, on experience and on quality, uh, not on nationality. So moving along, uh, Kartik, Dana Miner uh, follows up, and he, um, Dana posted this on worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, and uh, Dana says, I enjoy the podcast very much. I have a couple of things I want to touch on. I have pretty much stopped watching Premier League games. Leicester winning the league, not, notwithstanding, the Premier League has become a plaything of a handful of oligarchs passing the title back and forth. As you guys said, the league is really two leagues, one league of six teams and the rest. 
about the Columbus Crew ratings and attendance problems. I'm a season ticket holder and have been for many years. Since Anthony Precourt uh, took over as investor operator, the team has improved the fan experience 100% over how things were from the, when the Hunts were running uh, the club. I put the running uh, in quotation marks because they, had, they put the club on autopilot and were concentrating on FC Dallas. Early in the season, we were drawing abysmal numbers, about twelve to 13,000 in the stands. Fortunately, things have picked up as the season has gone by. But my friends are worried that pre-court and the league will begin to look around for places to move the team if things don't improve. What are attendance numbers like in other mid-sized cities? Last, I hate to be that guy, but I've been a Bundesliga fan since the Soccer Made in Germany days, so I have to let you know it's pronounced Herter Berlin, and not Herther Berlin, as I and say. And he's correct. And he is correct. <laughs> uh, let me let me uh, uh, respond to, to Dana on the um, uh, he or she is correct. I don't know if it's a he or she. Let me respond to Dana on the uh, Columbus possible relocation thing. I have heard various rumors that I've discounted the last six to nine months about pre-court looking around at some of the mid-sized markets, which uh, are either vying for MLS clubs now because they have USL or NASL clubs and looking to move up, or one or two that are uh, haven't even applied in the uh, in this uh, next round of expansion. The 12 cities that have applied for four spots. Uh, I... Um, Look, I still think you have a fan base in Columbus. I still think you have a soccer-specific stadium in Columbus. And you're in an era where it's very difficult to, 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 to pry loose public money or to find a private investor and private land willing to help you out. So uh, they can look around all they want. I think that team is going to stay in Columbus. That's my instinct. That's part of the reason I, I haven't bought into some of these rumors and, and zany things that I think people have given to me to float and hope I would tweet it or put it in an article uh, when it's you know, very much a trial balloon and, and those sorts of things. So I've discounted them. But uh, yeah, those those rumors are out there. But I, I, I have a lot of faith that that the team is going to stay in Columbus. And the, the last comment uh, through the mailbag is from Paul, and he posted this on uh, worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, he said, since its formation in 1992, the Premier League has always, uh, has always been a two-tier league with the same teams dominating the, the top four places. Occasionally, another team crashes a party. Blackburn champions in 1994-95, Newcastle runners-up in 95-96, to name two. But since the turn of the century, with the exception of Leicester City, there's been any one uh, from three for the title and any four from six for the Champions League. The bottom of the Premier League is more exciting, especially over the last few years with newly promoted uh, clubs not being automatic relegation teams. The Championship is more competitive and will a, uh, with a foolish bag of big clubs with a huge fan base. In England, more and more fans are turning to watching uh, lower leagues. Even the non-leagues are seeing an increase in attendances. Yeah, all true. All right, so if you do have any feedback, questions, comments, uh, you disagree or agree with anything we say, feel free to let us know. We'd love to read those out on there. Um, the correspondence can be sent to us via email. Uh, it's web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, Twitter is at WSoccerTalk, or Facebook is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Now, Kartik, let's move on to the TV streaming news, and uh, I'll have you kick it off. 
Yeah, so we do have uh, an MLS doubleheader uh, this weekend on Fox, uh, on, F, uh, on FS1, and this is, uh, and Fox Deportes also, actually. Uh, this will be interesting because I love to see what the studio coverage is like. It'll be Rob Stone and Alexi Lalas hosting FS1's Whip Around uh, coverage, offering uh, quick turnaround highlights of in-progress games, which is important because uh, there's a lot on the line in terms of playoff, race, playoff races in the West, playoff seeding in the East. The East, all six teams that will be in the Eastern Conference playoffs have already been determined, which is a bit of a bummer this, this early with two weeks ago, but that's that's the case. Uh, once the action begins on the field, Glenn Davis uh, will call the New York Red Bulls versus Atlantic in, Atlanta United uh, match alongside Stu Holden, uh, who has done a lot of work this week, as I said. Uh, Mark Followell, uh, who has also done a lot of work this week, uh, will call the Sounders uh, FC Dallas match alongside Brad Friedel. Uh, at the same time, Rachel Bonetta is going to host a special digital whip around across Fox Sports, uh, Fox Soccer's media platforms on Facebook and Fox Sports. Uh, go beginning at 5.15 p.m. Eastern time for the Eastern Conference matches and 7.35 p.m. Eastern time on the Western Conference matches. Uh, this should be uh, interesting to see if there is any sort of backlash in terms of interest in Major League Soccer following the U.S.'s elimination. Now, uh, you, you could take the perspective, which I do, which is MLS is partially res- responsible for the elimination because the countries that have defeated the U.S. have a lot of players playing in Major League Soccer. Uh, but then you also could take uh, the attitude that some fans now undoubtedly will that, hey, you know, uh, they we're, we're not good enough in this sport. I'm not going to watch it anymore. I'm not going to watch the domestic product anymore. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to hurt uh, MLS uh, TV ratings. Uh, I, I mean, for a few different reasons. One is that uh, who wants to get excited about watching the, these players play for their club teams? But the other thing, especially after the, um, the performance in the, the World Cup qualifying, but the other thing you have to look at too, Kartik, is looking at people like Tim Howard, uh, who was definitely declining, a sharp decline at Everton before he got a lucrative move to, to MLS. Michael Bradley, uh, who was at Roma, uh, had opportunities to uh, train and, and uh, play with some of the best uh, coaches um, in the world in Italy, decided to move back to uh, to Canada for a lucrative move. Josie Altador uh, was a failure in Europe, came back for a multi-million multi, multi uh, probably dollar deal in the United States. And then you had Clint Dempsey, who uh, had the opportunity really at Spurs to really challenge for a spot and to raise his game, but decided to move back to the United States uh, for more money and to play at Seattle. And I think in many ways, too, you look at these players, and and in in many ways, I mean, I can see what MLS was doing, trying to bring these Americans back home, raise the level of the game, increase TV ratings, and and improve MLS as a result. But if anything, this actually ended up, uh, I believe, hurting MLS. And hurting the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, well, there's no question. Michael Bradley's move from Roma to uh, to Toronto FC, in right in the prime of his career, uh, hurt the player. I know. I keep hearing these theories that you have to play in every game, and Bradley got to play in Toronto. Well, you know what? AS Roma. He's under Luis Garcia, who was the manager at the time. He's training with Totti. He's training with De Rossi. He's training with uh, Struman. Uh, he's training with all these high-level players. And he makes that move four months before a World Cup or five months before a World Cup. I, I just don't uh, – I, I think it 
it was a calculated move by MLS to spend money to try and hitch their wagon to the U.S. men's national team in terms of marketing. It has failed. Uh, the, the cross promotion between the U.S. men's national team and Major League Soccer has been now there are individual Major League Soccer clubs like uh, Los Angeles Galaxy who, who uh, market Gio Dos Santos and, and Vancouver who have marketed their, their Costa Rican players. But um, you have uh, the league as a whole and even the league's website and, and uh, their digital platforms basically commingling content with the U.S. Soccer Federation, serving as a, uh, as a propaganda arm, for lack of a better term, of, of U.S. soccer. You're right. It, it can't. It can't help ratings, right? right. There's no way. There's nowhere where to go but down when you think yeah. about that. And we, although the, the the MLS ratings are almost in the basement already, but they've uh, they've made the very uh, bad tactical error of not separating their product at least publicly from uh, the U.S. Men's National Team and hitch, and, and uh, assuming that would always be successful, so you'll uh, ride off their coattails. Yep. And, and we've seen um, in, in numerous World Cups in the past uh, into terms of how many new soccer fans are created from World Cup tournaments and how that boosts uh, TV ratings after World Cup tournament. And if you don't have the U.S. men's national team performing in that competition, and you've got players from you know, La Liga, Bundesliga, I'm, I'm sure that the Germans will do well again, even from the Premier League, from England, etc. Um, it's more likely that those TV ratings will, will get a boost um, as a result of um, seeing those stars play in, at the highest level. Now, before we uh, close this podcast, Karthik, I do want to mention that uh, we already have a few great articles at worldsoccertalk.com. We're going to have more coverage coming in the coming days, so definitely check it out. Some of the articles that are on the homepage right now include uh, Fox Sports suffers $200 million hangover after U.S. fails to qualify for the World Cup. Uh, we've got an article uh, by you, Karthik, that's uh, talking about blaming Sunil Galati for US, USSA's, USA's failure, um, and in addition to the players and Bruce Arena. And last but not least, uh, World Cup failure will leave US soccer shell-shocked for years to come. Karthik, it's been a long podcast, but it's been a good one. Um, unfortunately, a lot of bad news, but um, I see this as a positive. If changes can happen and uh, if the right people can be in charge that know soccer that can make change and have a positive impact on the, the entire United States. Uh, so, Kartik, where can listeners find you on the internet if they want to hit you up on, on social media? Uh, KKFLA737, I think most of you already have. I see one of my uh, tweets from last night is up to 1,000 likes, so that's uh, uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, people are angry. They're acting out. you, you got to keep capture this emotion and, and and remember this moment. Don't just move on a week from now and, and let uh, the, the, the same things happen. Uh, as Twelman said last night, the definition of insanity is making is repeating the same uh, mistakes over and over again, and that's, that's how he characterizes U.S. soccer, and that's how I would characterize it, but I would uh, take it a step further and say that there was a host of enablers out there. I think actually Twelman mentioned that too. And uh, don't be an enabler. So you can find me on Twitter at KKFLA737 and we'll have lots of great coverage here at World Soccer Talk. Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And uh, Kartik Krishnaya, on Twitter you said, this is the tweet that got uh, over a 1,000 um, uh, likes. It says, when a soccer culture depends on a national team, it's doomed to failure. Go out and support your local club. That's what really matters. And Kartik, what should they do? 
I know it's tough right now uh, for most Americans, but enjoy your football. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 